a good Sunday. And we got new believers, we got new babies. It's a good day, right? Well, hey, um, if you don't know me, my name is Kyle Bryant, and I'm the college minister here at Alberta Baptist Church. And I am a super thankful uh, to my pastors, both Colby and Keith, not only for the chance to be able to preach before you today, um, but also the chance to be a part of our, our four-week vision series. And so I don't take that lightly that I get the chance to do this. And so if you're new with us today, we're actually on the last week of our four-part series looking at ABC Vision and looking at our desires for every member of Alberta Baptist Church. And those three desires for our members are to know God, find community, and live on mission. You've probably heard that a lot by now. We're gonna keep saying it because it's very important to us. Um, But two weeks ago, Keith gave us a great message on what it means to know God. And then Jared last week talked a lot about what kind of community we are. And it was a great message if we're here. And this week, I get the chance to talk to you about what it means uh, to live on mission. So I'm very excited about that. And I'll go ahead and be uh, honest with you. I know that I talk a little bit faster than the normal person. So I'm going to work on that and slow down today. But there's two things that make me talk a little faster. Uh, It's when I'm nervous, when I'm excited. And I'm both of those today. And so so you may get like an hour-long sermon in about 25 minutes. And so, so be ready for that. You may have to listen fast. (laughs) <laughs> but it's going to be good. So, hey, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I want to kind of give you a story real quick. Um, so this week, I, uh, I decided that I want to add something to my bucket list. You know what a bucket list is? You know, the things you want to do before you pass away? Um, well, this week, I decided I want to add something to my list. Um, I want to break a world record. And you may think I'm crazy by saying that, but I came to find out that um, it's actually a lot easier than you think to break a world record these days because there's lots of really weird world records to break. And I found a website, um, it's called recordsetter.com. You can look it up, it's real. I'm not making it up. It's like, it's like the online version of the Guinness World Records list. And I went on there and they have videos. You can actually upload your own video of a work record that you've broken and they may kind of validate it and say, yeah, you're now the world record holder with that. But there's some pretty funny ones on there. I wanna share a few with you real quick. Um, one was the fastest time to eat 60 Krispy Kreme donuts. So, you know, you got that. One was the longest distance riding a unicycle underwater. So it's interesting. And my favorite one was the most consecutive bench presses of a cat. So that's a little weird. And that's kind of strange. And I have, I promise it's tying in. But um, if I get deep with you for a second, as silly as those are, I think we see something there. Uh, We see that even in the most strange ways, uh, many of us, even by bench pressing cats, are looking for ways to live a life of significance, living a life that means something. Even guys making videos of them lifting up cats, they're looking for a way for their life to count for something, even if it's a silly world record like that. And uh, last week, Jared talked about the idea of community and the idea that every one of us find community somewhere whether it's a gang, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's a church, uh, wherever it is. And I believe the same thing is true for mission. Uh, that the question this morning is not, are you living on mission? Uh, the question is, what kind of mission are you living for? Uh, what purpose are you living for in life? And have you really found the true reason uh, that you exist? And this morning, I want to put before you um, that the true reason that we, we exist, the reason that we even exist as a church, is for the mission of God in this world. And I'm going to unpack what that means this morning, but I'm going to go ahead and put that in front of you. Because if we've truly known God, come to know God, if we've found community, then I believe the natural expression of that is going to be for us to live on mission in this world with God. So if you found 2 Corinthians, I want us to read this together. Uh, This is 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at verses uh, 17 through 21 this morning. This is the word of God. Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for the great song that we sang a second ago, singing the gospel, that he became, he became sin who knew no sin, so that we might become your righteousness. And we thank you for the truth of the gospel this morning. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us a clear picture of what mission you have called us to, and not only the big picture of that, Father, but also how that plays out in our everyday lives. Father, I pray you would speak through me, Lord, a broken vessel to, to proclaim your timeless message. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so in that passage, we see a few interesting things I want to talk about this morning. And, and the first is this. You see in that passage, mainly in verses 17 through 19, the idea of being reconciled. And uh, that's a, a word that you may not hear a lot, but what does it mean to be, to be reconciled? Well, if you know much about it, then the main times you hear about being reconciled is things like uh, maybe a divorce court, right? When you have a couple who's seeking to be reconciled after some kind of tension, and maybe a divorce has kind of come to place. And what the court is trying to do is they're trying to reunite the couple. Uh, they're trying to bring peace in that kind of way. So if I can give you a simple definition of what it means to be reconciled, is to have a relationship restored to what it used to be. Uh, but in this uh, letter that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians, he's not talking about a earthly relationship. He's talking about the relationship that we have uh, with God. He's talking about something much bigger than a marriage. He's talking about being brought back in relationship with God. And Pastor Keith, a few weeks ago, gave us a great message on what it means to know God and how we come to know God. But what I want us to do for a few minutes before we look at kind of practically what it looks like for us to live on mission is I want us to kind of trace through scripture the mission of God and how, how God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And so I've given you a few bullet points in your outline this morning, kind of help follow along with that. But we're basically, we're gonna trace the story of the gospel in some ways and remind ourselves, because I believe it's really important that if we're gonna be on mission with God, we need to know what that mission is. So the first point I wanna give you this morning is this, is that we were created for a relationship with God. If you go all the way back to Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve, we see that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God to glorify God and to live in his presence. And so in the same way, we were created to be in a relationship with God where we daily experience the joy and the delight of living in his presence and living according to the way that he has designed us. If you look at Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, so, that, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see there that we were made in the image of God to reflect back to God his glory. There's an old confession of faith called the, the Westminster Catechism. And one of its lines says this. I love this. It says, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So the big idea, the, the purpose of our lives is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And those are really uniquely related because as we glorify God, as we reflect back his image, 
and his goodness and his power that creates a relationship where we're completely satisfied in knowing God and we come to find the things that we naturally want in life. We want things like to be loved, to be known, to be accepted. We want to have a purpose in life and we only find those true things in a relationship with God. And that's what Adam and Eve had in the garden. But if you've read much of Genesis and you've been with us very long when we're going through Genesis at our church, you know that Genesis 3 happened. And our second point happened, that we broke our relationship with God. Adam and Eve, they doubted God's goodness, and they decided that they could be better gods, little g-gods, than the one true God. So they rebelled against him, and because of that rebellion, uh, death entered the world, and sin entered the world. And that resulted in us being spiritually separated from God, and and now we don't know God anymore. That's why we have one of our core values for people to know God, because naturally, on our own now, we don't know God. And that spiritual sickness, that spiritual disease has now been passed down to us. And now all of us on our own, we're separated from God. And because of that, uh, we live lives that feel pointless. We live lives that feel empty. Uh, They feel broken. We wonder in life that there's more to life than just the nine to five. Uh, We fall into sin and we lead others into into falling into sin as well. And that's our fallen state uh, these days. And this result of separation from God is that unless something changes that we will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And the sad fact of the matter is that eternal conscious torment is the fate of anyone who is separated from God. And that's a hard truth, and that's bad news. But there's really good news in our next point, right? That God paid the price for us to be brought back to him in Jesus. Because God is a God of love, he's a God of compassion, Right? He doesn't want to leave us in this separated state. So God took the initiative in bringing us back to him. Because God desires for all people to know him. So after some time in the garden, God approaches a man named Abram. We talked about him a few weeks ago in Genesis 12. But God approaches Abram and tells him he's going to bless him and make him a great nation. God says that through Abram's descendants, that all the earth will be blessed. And so through the family of Abram, God brings about a nation called Israel. And in the book of Exodus... God tells Israel that he wants them to be a a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So basically, Israel was supposed to be God's representatives to the world and his agents to display his glory to the ends of the earth. Uh, But if you've read much of the Bible, you know that Israel kind of ultimately failed in that mission. That's not to say that God failed in any kind of way, but Israel was not the final step in his plan. God had an even bigger plan than that. And so if you fast forward to the New Testament, There's been hundreds of years of silence since the last prophet kind of came around to Israel. But after years of silence, Jesus shows up on the scene. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we see what Jesus first proclaims to his people. He says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you see there, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what in the world is the kingdom of God? If I could give you a simple definition, I say that the kingdom of God is God's loving rule and reign in the lives of his people. So for us to be brought into the kingdom of God really is a fulfillment of what God had been working on for thousands of years, which was restoring humanity back to himself. So we see that Jesus came as God in human form, like we sang earlier, right? That the God of this universe, he came and he walked the very dirt that he created. He lived a perfect life. He he died the death uh, that we deserved. He was crucified on a Roman cross for our sin. 
He took on our sin and our rebellion. And then he was raised from the dead to demonstrate God's power to overcome sin and to overcome death. Jesus paid our sin debt so that we could be brought back to God and brought back into a relationship with God and be reunited and restored to the place we were meant to be in that place of perfect love and joy and peace and be brought back into that and find fulfillment. So how do we respond then to that gospel? Because the word gospel simply means good news. So how do we respond to the good news? Well, Jesus tells us there in the book of Mark that we respond by repenting and believing. Uh, The word repent is a very churchy word, but it simply means to have a change of mind, to turn around. And so when we repent, we recognize the depths of our sin and we turn from that. And instead we trust in Christ. We trust in what he has done for us and we give all of our lives to him. In the book of Romans, chapter five, verses nine through 11, I think Paul gives us a great picture of what Christ has done for us. Romans five, nine through 11 says, since we have now been justified by his blood, How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we see right there that really reconciliation, being brought back to God, that's that's the gospel in kind of a a one jam-packed word there that we've been reconciled back to God through Christ. But the cool thing is that for us, um, that story doesn't end there. That we who have believed in Christ have been reconciled back to him, but we now have a mission to be on. And that's our fourth sub point there is that God has given the church the mission now to share the gospel. If you read the book of Acts, you see that after Christ's resurrection, he gives the disciples a mission to go and tell everyone this good news. And even before the book of Acts, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gives them this command. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's exactly what the disciples and the early church did. Not long after Jesus ascended into heaven, God sent the Holy Spirit down to empower the church to go and share this gospel. And so believers went and they spread the good news of Jesus everywhere they went. Many times they were even scattered farther uh, by persecution against them. One of the amazing things about uh, the book of Acts and the early church is that it was anonymous Christians who took the gospel to Judea and to Samaria. We We don't even know what followers of Christ spread the gospel to Asia. When Paul showed up in Rome to start the church, he found Christians already there and we don't even know who they were. But yet we see that the gospel is being spread through ordinary believers spreading the gospel. And so in in the book of Acts, I think we see a basic principle for us today in how the gospel spreads. And I kind of borrowed this from David Platt, so I'm going to give him credit for that. Um, But this is also in your outline. But it says, the gospel spreads by ordinary people empowered by an extraordinary presence proclaiming the gospel everywhere they go. And that's really us today. We're ordinary people who have been empowered by an extraordinary presence of the Holy Spirit, who get to proclaim the gospel everywhere we go. So that's where we're at today. We're now in the last days before Christ returns, commissioned on mission with God to make disciples and share the gospel. And so today I want to put before you, if you're looking for a mission to be on, if you're looking for a purpose for your life, I want to say that this is it. That the purpose of your life, the mission of your life, the thing you really made for is to be reconciled back to God And then go and tell everyone you can what God has done for you in Christ. 
Because here's the thing about every other mission we can get on, every other cause, no matter how good it is, no matter how good any cause is, it's eventually going to end. Any social justice cause, uh, any political cause, as good as those are, and as much as we should be supporting some of those causes, they all eventually have a, a terminal point. They end. But the mission of God is ultimate because it impacts eternity. The mission of God is something that we should get behind with all of our lives because it's a cause that's going to last forever. And so today, be encouraged by that. Be inspired that that is the reason that you exist, is to make God known amongst everyone around you. But that may be really inspiring, and that may sound nice to preach from a a pulpit on a Sunday morning. But I want to give you something more practical than that. Because I can cast vision about the mission of God all I want to But if you don't understand how that applies to your everyday life, then I'm just up here talking for a long time. And so our second main point I want us to look at is that we are on mission every day with God. So we're going to take some time to look at some practical uh, application for this. And so in that 2 Corinthians passage, we see really in verses 20 and 21 that Paul calls us ambassadors. Well, you may not really know what an ambassador is or not be really familiar with what it means. And uh, I looked it up. And to be an ambassador... It's to be someone who is sent. It's someone who brings a message. Uh, back in Paul's day, an ambassador was someone who had uh, the same kind of authority to represent the political authority that sent them. And so they represented you know, Caesar or what other leader that they came from. Uh, but for us today, that's what it means to live as an ambassador. So we get to live as representatives of Christ uh, to everyone around us. But before we even go on with this a more application section, I want to be real clear real quick, and some of this is in your outline as well, Uh, But when we talk about living on mission today, I want to go ahead and be honest. I'm not asking you to add anything else to your calendar today. I'm not asking you to add anything else to your schedule. You may hear me talk about mission and think, oh, he wants me to go on a mission trip. Oh, he wants me to do this specific thing with the church. Oh, he wants me to do this. And those are all great things, and I want you to do those things. But more than anything today, I'm not asking you to add anything else to your calendar. I'm asking you to rethink the ways that you're going about what you're already doing. In your outline, I have it there that living on mission is not something to add to our schedule, but something to intersect with our current daily rhythms. Living on mission is not an extra event we do. It's us rethinking the way we live already. All right, so now with that in mind, I want us to go and look at four kind of practical, uh, I call them the four eyes of living on mission. And I want to go and be honest that I'm really thankful uh, to two guys named Dustin Willis and Aaron Coe, who wrote a great book called Life on Mission. And um, the North, North American Mission Board put it out, and I have benefited greatly from it today uh, studying for this. But I want to share with you these four eyes that they've kind of laid out about what it looks like to live practically on mission every day. And so that first eye is this. It's simply identify. Identify people who need the gospel in the ways that you can reach them. So I want to ask you a question. Uh, Who are the people around you right now uh, that need the gospel? Have you thought about that when it comes to work, when it comes to class, your friends, your family members? Who are those around you that don't know Christ and that need to hear the gospel? Because the easiest place to start when it comes to sharing Christ is with those that are already around us. Uh, But even more than that, I think sometimes it's easy to think about those people and we forget that we have two kinds of neighbors. Uh, We have our natural neighbors, which are the ones that we're around at work, around at school, We see them when we go to Starbucks, that kind of thing. But then we have our neglected neighbors, the ones that we don't naturally bump into. Those are the people um, that in Matthew 25, Jesus calls them the least of these. They're the people that maybe we don't naturally cross paths with every day. 
even in our community here in Alberta City, we've got a lot of people that I would really call our, our neglected neighbors, that we're called to reach them, but we don't naturally bump into them every day. So as we think about the people that we're called to invest in and the people we're called to identify and share the gospel with, we can't ignore our neglected neighbors because in Matthew 25, Christ tells us that what we do for the least of these, we've done for him. And so today, as you're kind of thinking through people to share the gospel with, don't just naturally go to, oh, my coworker, that's great, you need to share the gospel with them. But realize that we've got people even around us who are neglected by even the church who need the gospel as well. And so that second point, though, is this. As we begin to identify people in our lives who need the gospel, whether they're natural or neglected, we've got to take the next step and invest in them. Invest in others as we share the gospel. Um, I, I love this verse that Paul gives uh, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It's a simple verse. But he says this. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. And I love that verse because I think what it tells us, it gives us, it gives us a great challenge when it comes to living on mission. Living on mission is not so much about just sharing our words. It's about sharing our lives with people. Not just our words, not just a five-minute gospel presentation, but it's sharing our lives with people. Because many times when it comes to having spiritual conversations, a lot of times we have to earn the right to share with someone. We have to earn the right. And a simple way to do that is by simply spending time with people, uh, by showing them that you care about them as much more than a a potential convert, um, but as someone that you care about and you care about knowing them and you care about their soul more than anything. And even... A good way to think about investing in people is thinking about three areas in your life, if I can be practical with you. There's three areas that really help us when looking at investing in people and connecting. And it's what we're passionate about, what we're good at, and what needs we notice around us. I believe that the intersection of those three things is a great place to start when it comes to the connecting people and sharing the gospel. So the intersection of our passions, our skills, and people's needs is a great place to start. Um, and I, think, I can think of two stories of friends of mine that I think model this very well. And the first one is, is Lucas Johnson. He's not here today. I got permission to talk about him. Um, but uh, Lucas Johnson, he's a graduate student at UA. And uh, maybe about a month before the semester started, me and him had lunch one day. And I was talking to him about um, wanting to do a dorm partnership at Harris Hall on UA's campus. And we're doing that. Um, but he came to me a few weeks after that and said, hey, Kyle, I have a great idea about what we can do to reach out to students. He said, what if we offered free math tutoring? to students in the dorm. Because you may not know Lucas, but if you do, you know he's a uh, astrophysics PhD student. So he's pretty smart and he's pretty good at math. And so, and then um, we have a couple of engineers in our um, college ministry. And fun fact, I used to be a math teacher back in the day. So I've done a little bit of math too. So he recognized that we as a ministry and him as a person had skills. Then we had a passion to reach students. And then we saw a need on campus of the gospel. So he combined those three things together and we're actually going to start our tutoring program next week. So I ask that you pray for us as we start that, as we reach students. Uh, another example I think of though is my friend Jenny. Jenny from Mobile. She's an engineer. I'm like on an engineer kick today, sorry. It's my context. But she's an engineer in downtown Mobile and uh, there's a park across the street from uh, where she works at. And uh, she began to take her lunch break down at the park because it was nice outside and it wasn't too hot and it wasn't raining all the time like it usually does in Mobile. And uh, she began to take her lunch break down there And as she was eating lunch, kind of hanging out at the park, she began to recognize and see homeless men all around that park. There's a lot of homeless people in Mobile. And uh, she began to feel a burden for them 
to get to know them, to get to know their stories, uh, to invest in them, to share the gospel with them. And so what she did is during her lunch break, during the day in a good, safe environment, she began to go sit down with these guys and just eat lunch and ask them, hey, tell me your story. Like, how did you get here? Like, what's going on in your life? You know, how can I pray for you? And that kind of thing. And through taking time to invest in these men, she was able to actually get them connected to a men's ministry at her church. And that men's ministry was actually reaching out to other homeless men. And through, through that, she got these guys at that park connected to this men's ministry, and those guys got connected to the church. And because of that connection to the church, those guys are actually in a, a much better place and on a much better path than they were before. And so really, Lucas and Jenny are just two really simple examples of people taking, I mean, their time, their resources, um, the things that they're good at, and combining those things and finding ways to share the gospel and, and to invest in people. And so I want to ask you then today, what kind of passions do you have? Uh, what are your gifts? Uh, what extra resources do you have? Um, what needs do you see in the community? You can use all kinds of stuff to connect with people. You can use music, art, cooking, books, ultimate frisbee, football, maybe even bench pressing cats in some kind of way to connect with people and, and to invest in people. Um, but what about your dreams as well? Colby mentioned this a few weeks ago in our intro to the series. Uh, what dreams do you have when it comes to maybe changing the world? when it comes to investing in people. Um, what ideas do you have where you're like, wow, that would be an amazing way to connect with people, invest in people, and share the gospel? We want to know. Because according to Ephesians 4, it's our job as a church staff to equip you for the work of ministry. That means that we want to set you up and do all that we can to serve you and get you going on ways that God has given you and dreams that God has given you to reach the world. And so talk about that with people in your life group. Talk about that with people who are just in this church community, talk about that with us. We want to know. Even on your card today that we mentioned earlier when it comes to filling out your info, if you're a visitor or whatever, uh, there's boxes on there about ways that you can serve even in this church. But also I would even challenge you, if you've got something kind of outside the box that you want to write down, like, hey, I've been wanting to do this kind of ministry for a long time and just never had the avenue for it, write it down, let us know. We want to talk to you about that kind of thing. But also when it comes to serving in the church, um, sometimes I think we get kind of a little bit close-minded when it comes to ways to serve. Uh, a lot of times we think that if you can't teach, sing, or play music, or cook, or maybe help with kids or youth, then you have no use in the church. Uh, and that's not true at all. You can use things even like painting to serve her. You can use the, the skill of building things to serve her. We got guys who are killing it on this yellow house back here, serving the youth ministry. And we, we love them for that. If you love to drink coffee, you know what? You can come on Sunday mornings and brew coffee before service and help people drink coffee. But also, you'll get to get the first cup of coffee if you want to, which is nice and fresh, right, as a benefit to that ministry. But even simple stuff like, like making coffee. We have so many ways to serve here. We want to get you plugged in. Let us know what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what need you see. We want to get you plugged in, okay? But all, that third eye, as we're walking through our eyes, so let's say that you have identified people. You're investing in people. Well, the natural next step is for us to invite people into disciple-making relationships, um, we got to be really careful because we can't just be nice people who just, you know, do nice things because we're actually Jesus people and we have a message to share. Uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 14, Paul reminds us of this. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? So as we invest in people, we got to be clear and intentional in sharing the gospel with people. Otherwise, how will they ever come to follow Christ? Uh, but as we share the gospel with people, we got to realize one thing. Many times it's, it's an ongoing conversation. 
as we share the gospel with people. It's not always a one-and-done process, uh, but it's a conversation uh, that takes time. A lot of times people need to think through the gospel and have the Lord work in their heart before they commit to Christ. But another tip with that is this. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you know people in your life that you want to have spiritual conversations with. Maybe a coworker, maybe a family member, maybe just a Starbucks barista, you know. Let me give you a pro tip, if I can, about how to initiate spiritual conversation. It's super simple. Ask someone how you can pray for them. Even the simple question of, hey, I'm a Christian and we like to pray for people, you know, because we care about people. How can I pray for you? Even something as simple as that is a great gateway, a great opener for you to be able to have spiritual conversation with people because it shows not only that you are spiritual, but that you care about them, right? You're not just trying to throw some theology at them. You want to pray for them and you care about them. But as we invite people to Christ, we all seem to realize that we're not just inviting people to an individual decision. We're not inviting them just to pray a prayer and move on with their life. We're inviting them to something so much more than that. Because one beautiful aspect of the gospel call and invitation is that we're inviting people into a community as well. So to tie this in even to Jared's message last week, I want you to think about this. Uh, In Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, Jesus says a very familiar verse we've heard before. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. But have you ever thought about a city before? Like one person doesn't make up a city. Right? If I go to the hill behind the Tuscaloosa Amphitheater tomorrow and stand on the hill and say, all right, this is Bryantville, that's weird. Like no one does that, right? Because I'm only one person, right? Multiple people, a community is what makes up a city. And so if the church is a community and we're a city, we've got to realize that as we invite people to Jesus, we're calling them into community as well. Like Jared said last week, we need to be a community where people can belong before they believe. People need to see biblical community being lived out many times before they believe. They need to see people rejoicing together. They need to see people confessing and repenting together. They need to see people forgiving each other and living out the gospel in real life. Not even just in a Sunday morning where we all get pretty and dressed up and look good, but throughout the mundane of the day-to-day. They need to see that we're living for something so much bigger than ourselves. Because lots of times, people need to see that the gospel works in the lives of those who believe it before they believe it themselves. But even for us, as we're living on mission, sometimes we can be weak and sometimes we don't want to live the difficult mission that Christ has called us to. Sometimes there's days where we just don't, we're not feeling it. But the beautiful part about community is that like Hebrews 10 says, we can spur each other on in living on mission every day. We're not created to be on mission alone. We're created to be on mission in community. But that last I I want to look at is increase. It's increased disciple-making by sending people uh, to make more disciples. Because obviously our goal as a church is not to stay stagnant and kind of just break even. We want to grow, but we want to grow for the glory of God by making disciples. That's the beauty of the Great Commission is that when one person becomes a disciple, like Brandon today, or the numerous people who have come to faith in the past couple weeks, they're now disciple-makers. They now are on mission to make more disciples. And so practically for us, that looks like that maybe as you're discipling someone, you're now calling them to go make disciples themselves. Maybe you're like a a 45-year-old dad who's discipling a 15-year-old skateboarding kid. Well, as cool as you think you may be, you may have some kind of midlife crisis and think you're cool enough to reach skateboarding kids like him. He probably can reach better, he could probably reach skateboarding kids better than you can, right? A 15-year-old can reach 15-year-olds better than a 45-year-old can a lot of times, right? And so that's the beauty of making disciples is that you train up this kid who's 15, to go and make disciples on his own. And then the ones that he brings to Christ, they go make disciples and it's a multiplication process. And that's how the gospel spreads and how the church grows. 
But even as a church, that means that we're also constantly aware of ways we can send people out ourselves. And we do that very well here. Um, We've got Matt. Uh, Matt Richardson, who's in uh, Paris right now. We've got Rachel Hill going to Haiti. We've got the Kazayas in Africa. We've got the Pews over in Burbridge. We're doing a really good job, I believe, of sending people out. And we want to continue to do that as a missional church who's on mission for God. But if I can speak to college students for one second as a college minister, right? um, I want to give you one challenge as well. I want you to think about this. Uh, Imagine that after you graduated, uh, maybe you used your degree somewhere that the gospel isn't quite as welcome. Uh, What if you were um, an engineer in Seattle? What if you got an accounting job in Maine? What if you went to graduate school in Dubai? What if you became a nurse in New York City? What if you become a businessman in China or an English teacher in Egypt? Those are all places that the gospel isn't really that welcome. It's a place where it's really hard to be a full-time missionary, but it's a place where there's a huge gospel need and you can leverage your education for that. So think about that. I want to give you a challenge today to consider your college education not as something that you get to go get a good job somewhere here in the States, which can be good. But think about it as a missional opportunity as well. So with that in mind, I want to give you a few barriers real quick when it comes to living life on mission. And then we'll begin to close after that. Because we've talked a lot about the big picture of the mission of God. We've talked about the practical everyday mission. But I believe there's maybe three. I think your outline has two. But I have three barriers, I think kind of hit us a lot these days. So we have three. Okay, I'm getting the three from the back. All right, cool. So the first two I'm going to lump together, if I can, and it's apathy and admiration. What do I mean by that? Well, kind of like I mentioned earlier, if we're honest, there's some days we just don't feel like being on mission. There's some days where it's hard. Your kids are crazy. You're stressed about work. You don't feel like being on mission, if we're honest. And in some ways, we're just kind of apathetic about it. You know, we know we should share the gospel. We know we should serve, but we just don't. I feel that. I've been there before. But others of us, we're more concerned with the admiration of others than people's eternal souls. A lot of times we think um, more about what people think about us than where that person's going to spend eternity. And that, that can really, man, that can be tough. And I've been there, like I've said. But I want to offer you um, some helpful perspective for me, or from me, for you, um, that's really helped me when it comes to this living on mission thing. And let me, let me ask you a question. Where are you going to be in two billion years. Where are you going to be in two billion years? A billion is like hard to think about, right? But if you're a believer in Christ in here, you're going to be with the Lord in the presence of God, experiencing the love and the joy of worshiping God for all eternity and whatever all that even means in the new heaven and new earth. It's going to be amazing, right? But that's your destination in two billion years and even past that. So in light of that, I want to ask you a question then. What are you doing today that's going to impact what you're doing in two billion years? How are you living today that's going to impact what you're doing and who's around you in two billion years? Because honestly, it's really easy for us to get caught up in this 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years that we have on this earth and we neglect the trillions of years that we have in eternity. And we live way more for retirement than we do for the gospel and for eternity. And I'm speaking that to myself as much as anyone else. And so we got to have an eternal perspective when it comes to being on mission. And the last thing I want to talk about is agenda. I want to be clear on this, uh, but what I mean by agenda is this. It's no surprise today uh, if I talk about how our culture is becoming more and more anti-Christian and how our culture is becoming more hostile to uh, Christian beliefs, especially our moral beliefs, what we think about uh, what is right and what is wrong especially when it comes to things like uh, marriage and and abortion. 
And because of that, I believe it's easy for Christians sometimes uh, to become more focused on uh, fighting a moral culture war instead of living on mission for the gospel. Right? We get more caught up in our own agendas than we do the Great Commission. And hear me out, those things are very important things that we should be fighting for, right? I'm very thankful for guys like Russell Moore of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Convention um, in D.C. who's fighting for Christian values um, in the White House and on Capitol Hill. But we got to realize that there's a good principle that Christians should be known by. We should be known way more for what we're for than what we're against. Many times in this culture, we're known more these days as Christians for what we're against than the mission that we've been given. And so for us, as we seek to be salt and light in the world, which involves us taking up moral stances, we got to realize that over all that kind of stuff, we're not called to make the culture believe and live exactly like we do. We're called to share the gospel with them first, right? Because when it comes to even sharing the gospel with one person, right, we're not called to first clean them up and then bring them to Jesus. We're called to share the gospel with them, and Jesus can do the cleaning up himself, right? I think he's pretty good at that, Right? And so when it comes to sharing the gospel and even viewing the way that we have a mission in this world, we realize that our first mission is to share the gospel before having an agenda of this moral issues first, all right? Those are important issues. Don't hear me say I said those were not important, but we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen. All right, so as we close today, I want to ask you two questions. Uh, Number one is this. In, In the book of 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul says, we've been reconciled to God. So I want to ask you a question. Have you been reconciled to God? Have you done what Christ calls us to do in, a, in the book of Mark and repent and believe? If you haven't been reconciled to God, if you don't have a relationship with God, then to be honest, none of this stuff I talked about today really matters because you're not on mission with God. But I want to invite you today, if you have not been reconciled to God, to repent and believe, to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ today. And so, but the second question is this. If you have been reconciled to God, What are you doing about it today? You have a mission to live on now. And I want to ask you, in two billion years, what you're doing then, is that impacting the way you're living today? Are you thinking about that? Are you living in light of eternity every day? So I'm going to ask Jennifer and the worship team to go and come back up. Um, But today, that's kind of the invitation, is if you have been reconciled to God, be reconciled to him uh, by repenting and believing. But if you have been, live in light of eternity. Even thinking about the ways that you serve at this church, Are you recognizing your passions? Are you recognizing uh, your gifts, the skills you have, and the ways you can use them both here and in the world? Because I believe that God has given us passion, skills, and recognized needs to serve both in the church uh, and in the world. So if you will, let's pray today, and then we'll have our invitation.